You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Matt Levine, joined by Lila Bromberg and Cody Wilcox. And not too much to get to today with the football team having a bye week this week, but We'll recap their game against Temple on Saturday, and our predictions were brutally wrong. Lila, we'll start with you. You made a huge prediction. I think we all did, but... Yeah, I said 45-13. I think that, like, Cody and I are just... We're not doing too good in the prediction game, but, you know, 2017, that was a score we had predicted for a previous week, so I feel like we should get, like, some credit for that. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> we're 0-2 on our predictions so far. I don't... Did we make a Howard one? I can't remember. I think that was Sean. That was Sean. So, yeah, we're 0-2 on our predictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, not looking too good at the moment. But, like, we're predicting, I think, the right things to watch for. We're just getting the score. Yeah, we're way off on the score. But, like, then again, like, no one could have predicted the first two weeks. And, like, those were a little deceiving going into this week. But Temple just always gets the best of Maryland, it seems. They do. And I think... With the team utilizing the bye week, I think we will do it too. So that the next time, you know, Maryland plays Penn State, I think we'll be able to get that score right on the money. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting game. I would think that, you know, the anticipation around that is going to go down a bit uh, with this loss. But, I mean, you have to say, like, it wasn't as brutal of a loss as the Temple last year, but it definitely uh, was ugly. What did, you know, we were there in the press box, but, you know, watching from home, Matt, what did you think of that uh, that showing? I think they looked like a totally different team than they did in the first two weeks, whether it was that they were playing on the road or just against a team that I, maybe they didn't prepare well enough, but they they really didn't come out with the energy that they did in the first two weeks. And I think that goes a long way because that changed the way they they played. It changed the pace of the game. And they had a couple questionable play calls, and they really just didn't convert. And that's what it came down to. They couldn't convert on third down. They couldn't convert on fourth down. And they couldn't stuff the ball in from the goal line. So when you can't do those things, you're not going to win the game. Yeah, and uh, the first two games, you they were at home. Their offense controlled the pace. They were able to you know, um, throw the first punch, as I told you in the press box. Like, it, it looked like Temple really threw the first punch, and mm-hmm. Maryland was on their heels the at least the first half. Because, I mean, the only points they had were from that really bad snap from <laughs> Temple that just rolled out of the back of the end zone, which is it's definitely a, a weird way to get your first points of the day. But you had to have I, two points at the half. <laughs> exactly, and from something like that. But I, I think at that point in time, Maryland could just take anything they could get. Like you said, they weren't setting the pace. Their tempo looked off, and Josh Jackson said to us after the game, you know, that just the rhythm felt off. And I think, um, I don't think, I don't know if it was a lack of preparation. He said, Jackson said that they expected that, you know, kind of tough uh, defense from Temple, but... I personally was kind of in not in shock, but I was just kind of upset by um, some of the play calling. I think that, you know, they kept on going to the same things over and over rather than switching things up. Um, Loxley says they switched things up a little bit at halftime, and you could see that a little bit. But, I mean, let's talk about those, you know, all those fourth and goal opportunities. There was three fourth and goal opportunities, and they – um, you know, all one yard, and they did not convert a single one. And towards the end of the game, you have two chances in the red zone. You have that awful punt 
from Temple, which was just special teams. We'll get to that in a second. Special teams was just on a whole nother level in that game. What a disaster. Um, but you have that punt. I mean, how lucky are you to get that where you're getting a punt and you're able to bring it down to the 10-yard line and then you can't execute, you get another chance and you you just can't execute twice. Like it, You yeah. know, and they kept going to the same thing. They kept running the ball up the middle and I wanted to see a pitch. I wanted to see an outside route. I wanted to see anything different. If you know that your offensive line isn't playing well, why are you continuing to, you know, bring the ball up the middle when that hasn't worked all game? And and my thing was, is the defense gave him an opportunity with that three and out down there and enforced that punt that went to what you said, the 10-yard line. And I understand, like, Loxley, Loxley talked a lot about, you know, we're going to get our best playmakers the ball. We're going to get our best playmakers the ball. Understandable. Like, Anthony, and he said that again today. Yeah, and Anthony McFarland is your best playmaker. But I think, I, I understand him wanting to go to McFarland in the goal line situation a couple times. But I think sometimes you just need to change your pace, either whether it's with Javon Leak or even Jake Funk. Jake Funk's one of the hardest runners on the team. And he's you know? known for getting in the end zone. Exactly. So I think they He didn't see a lot of action in that game. No. And I was going to mention this. Anthony McFarland, you know, the, pri- the prior two games, they, they went to a running back by committee. You know, uh, um, Fleet Davis got some carries, you know, Jake Funk. But... This game, Anthony McFarland had 25 carries for 123 yards and a touchdown. The next person to have anywhere close to that was Javon Leak with eight carries for 57 yards. And I'm kind of curious to see if they're going to go back to the running back by committee a little bit more. Obviously, Anthony McFarland's going to get the majority of the handoffs, but or if it's just going to be lopsided like this mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah, and what Loxley said today is he wanted to get his best player the ball in the end zone. I mean, in that area, but like, like I said try something else. I mean, what did you think of the play calling in the game? Because well, I was just shaking my head in the press box. I was like, what? You're going to the same thing over and over. I think Josh Jackson came out in this game and just looked sluggish from the beginning. He could, he was overthrowing or underthrowing his receivers, wasn't able to move the ball, and they had the safety at the halftime. At halftime. That was the only point they had. So the offense really just looked slow. And I think Whoever was calling the plays, whether it was Loxley, Scotty Montgomery, or even Jackson, if Jackson was calling the plays, I don't think he had confidence in himself to throw the ball at the goal line. And this takes me back to a play in the NFL when Russell Wilson passed the ball in the Super Bowl and it was intercepted instead of handing it off to Marshawn Lynch. And everyone gave him uh, criticism for that. should have handed it off to Marshawn Lynch. So maybe something like that where he wasn't confident in himself and he just wanted to hand it off to McFarland, and it ended up not working out. But had it worked out, McFarland would have been the hero, and everyone would have changed the way they're saying. But call a different play if you've if you've gone to McFarland in the end zone because that had happened earlier in the game too on the other side of the field, um, where they had you know I think it was it was either earlier in the fourth quarter, or it was earlier in the game because I mean this happened a ton of times. Um, but it was the same exact situation where you're on like fourth and goal. And they try to drive him up the middle, and it doesn't work. Um, and you know that their defensive line and their linebackers are playing better than your offensive line, as the offensive line was atrocious in that game. I just think that you have to mix it up a little bit, whether that's running an outside pitch, whether that's doing some sort of like special play that's going to throw them off with you know, throwing to a running back, maybe having like something mixed in there where you have like another skilled player throwing or you bring Pigram in and kind of, you know, like, toss it to him and throw it like I just feel like you can get more creative there because you're you're doing a disservice I mean the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a dis- different result and that was how I felt about their red zone opportunities it was going to the same thing over and over again and knowing that it wasn't 
and just hoping that this time it was going to work. Yeah, and a couple things on that point is, like, you know, with with your confidence in, in the first drive, anybody who throws in a pick on the first drive is going to be a little bit shaken up, especially on the first road game with a brand-new team. And he's so, still, you know, getting back from that injury, getting into his role. Yeah, so, but, you know, it, a lot of people were saying on Twitter after the first half, like, Marilyn needs to go to Piggy, Marilyn needs to go to Piggy, and, and Loxley told us a lot of that, you know, he it's going to be Josh Jackson's job for until something happens that's really bad it's going to be Josh Jackson's job and although you know people but use him, him in like a special way I'm, I'm not saying yeah, that he goes in for a starting yeah, role no, I'm just I, saying in like a special way no definitely at least put him on the field um and then a couple other people were saying you know go to the read option with Piggy but that's that's always a little bit uh dicey with that delivery of the ball between the running back and the quarterback but I definitely think they, they could have utilized him in some shape or form uh, as far as the goal line. But you you know, I mean, they were on the one-yard line. Uh, how, how far is a field goal or an extra point? It's like, at what, the, it's a little farther back. Yeah. But on you know that Loxley has a two-point conversion that is circled on his sheet to go to that if necessary, if they need to win the game or anything. So I'm surprised he didn't pull out something a little bit more creative, like you said, Lila. Yeah, and speaking of that, there, you know, in special teams, uh, there's that one play that another play I was just shaking my head at was that fake field goal. We learned after the game that uh, Petrino had a groin injury, uh, and Locks told us today that he does expect him to be back for Penn State, but basically they are in a situation where they would rather, he said, um, run a special play instead of counting on their backup to hit a field goal there. But if that's the case, right, and you know that that's happening, get more offensive players on the field and get a better play drawn up. I mean, I, I don't understand what that was and how they thought that could be effective. Well, I think the defense from Temple read that play right away. Once, yeah. once the snap happened, it seemed like there were at least three defenders that pretty much jumped the snap and were there in a split second. And whoever the holder was just went right down. But had they had more offensive players or maybe just had more blockers mm -hmm. to try and maybe have two guys go towards the end zone and the rest of the guys block on the line, I think that could have worked. But that play, I think that changed a lot of momentum in the game. And for Petrino not being able to kick, you know, if you look back on the play, he takes a big whiff at the ball with his uh, with his foot. But the, the uh, holder on that play was Mike Shinsky, who's a backup place kicker in um, – he actually, with that carry, it went. He had the one carry, it went for negative ten yards. He had more carries than Jake Funk in that game. Just want to point that out. Yeah, I think Jake Funk should have been used a little bit more in that game. Somewhat, somewhat. Just because while Anthony McFarland is your best running back, if something's continuously not working, yes, he was able to get a touchdown. Yes, he had a decent amount of yards, but on a lot of opportunities, it, it wasn't working. Um, you know, as good as he did look, a lot of times it wasn't working. He was getting stuffed in you know right away and so I think you gotta try and mix something up there um I think I just think that we saw a lot more creativity in terms of play calling against Syracuse and Howard and Javon Leak provided a little bit of a change of pace in the backfield there so I think if you incorporate it just give them one or two handoffs mm -hmm. just see what they can do against the defense where you know their linebackers and their defensive line were all over Maryland's offensive line and like we said Josh Jackson was off in that game he talked to us after a press conference because I think on that first uh not the first fourth and goal, but the first one kind of in that end sequence, they tried to pass the ball. And then uh, after that, in the second, you know, 
red zone sequence because uh, they had two chances there towards the end of the game. They then went to r- rushing the ball. But initially, like, Josh Jackson, he missed, like, two wide-open guys in the end zone. And um, he really just didn't look great. And I don't know what exactly the issue was. He said it was timing. I think a lot of it, though, came down to the offensive line. But I feel like when I saw his play a little bit at Virginia, I saw him as more of a quarterback that could throw on the run and move out of a pocket, but he just seemed hesitant and almost like scared to move out of that pocket and take some risks and would rather take the fall. That's kind of what I saw. Did you guys see that? What did you think of just like his decision making? Well, after the Howard game in the press conference, he said that he was still a little uh, nervous to get banged up and to get sacked because of that injury that he's coming off of. And four sacks against Temple. (laughs) Four sacks. Temple got to him four times. And mind you, he did get hit, but he got hit more than four times. Was able to escape it sometimes, just throw it away or find someone. There was one play I remember where he escaped a hit and actually completed it for a first down, which I thought was probably the highlight of the game for moving the ball down the field. But I think having that nerves to to get sacked or to even get hit by the defensive line, that throws off your timing, and he wasn't able to connect on his passes because of that. 100%. And like I said, I think uh, when they go for it on – it was fourth down when he threw his interception. When they go for it, and he, he just – I don't know if it was a timing thing or if he just threw it to the outside shoulder thinking uh, the wide receiver would go out and get it. But on the first drive in your first away game, that's really going to affect your confidence. And like you said, Matt, when, when he's being constantly – whether it's sacked – or if he gets the ball away and he's being hit, it you your clock, the quarterback's clock in their head goes a little bit faster, and it does disrupt the timing that the wide receiver needs to do a certain route or something that they worked on training camp. So definitely was a different atmosphere for him on Saturday. And also the vision. I think I remember seeing in the press box a ton of receivers who were open, and he just seemed to miss, and I think that that pressure kind of plays into it, and that's definitely something that they're going to need to figure out this week going into Penn State. But I think one of the biggest concerns, a concern we had all throughout the offseason and we're more concerned about going into Syracuse, but now we've realized Syracuse maybe isn't as good as we thought, um, is the offensive line because it just did not look good um, against against Temple at all. Um, and now you have Terrence Davis injured. Uh, as many of you might know from our reporting, he went out of the game. Uh Cody, tell us a bit more kind of about that injury because I know you were kind of behind reporting a lot of that. So, yeah, he went down in the first half uh, with an injury. It was tough to see exactly what happened, but we believe somebody rolled up on his his ankle and knee at the time. And then Loxley, after the press conference, basically said, you know, we don't know what it is until we get tested, but it's something knee-related. And then today we found out that Terrence Davis is going to be out four to six weeks. Um, And then also – With a sprained MCL. Yes, sprained MCL. And also Fontaine and Ellis McKinney are kind of going to step in and, and rotate and try to help out that offensive line in any way they can. But, I mean, this this bye week might act as sort of a positive in a way to where they might be able to get some kind of rhythm going together before Penn State comes in. And I know they got a, they got a tough defense over there, especially with uh, one of their defensive players, Mika Parsons, you know. So I think this bye week could act as a positive for him, but it's definitely a tough blow for the Maryland offensive line because that's their most veteran presence on there. As you mentioned, Parsons, he probably will be a top five pick in the draft eventually. So the offensive line probably has to do 
the best job it has all season in protecting Josh Jackson in that game. And I, I don't think they really did a great job at all so far protecting him. I think he's gotten sacked pretty much four, three, three or four times every game. But I think that is the, the weakness of this team right now. And we've been saying it in previous podcasts that that is the spot that the Maryland Terrapins need to work on. It's the offensive line. If they just protected Josh Jackson even slightly better so he doesn't have that fear, he'd be able to connect on more of his passes than he is now, and that would put them in a good spot to win games. Yeah, and like you said, Penn State, I mean, we'll get more into that on next week's podcast, but it's something to keep in mind as they prepare this week. Last year, you know, Penn State, uh, they've kind of, you know, trampled Maryland in recent years. Uh, you know, last year was a 38-3 to loss for Maryland, uh, only getting the field goal there. And then uh, you look at 2017, which was uh, even worse, a 66-3 loss. Um, and it just, you know, people are saying that Penn State isn't as good this year, but it's still a very good team. And Loxley was saying this week he really wants to focus on fundamentals. But I think it's also a good thing mentality-wise to have this bye week. I don't think a bye week can come at a better time when, you know, you're preparing for a big game. It's not going to have as much hype now. Um, you're kind of even – you were already underdogs going into it, but now even more so, um, which actually I think will be a good thing for them. But after having this first loss, that's such a high start to the season. I think you couldn't ask for a better bye week to get in the right mentality and, uh, you know, fix all the errors that we saw. I mean, look at Temple. Temple came in off the bye week. And they put up that performance against Maryland. So it's obviously going to do them some good, get some guys healthy, get them a little bit rested. Um, maybe, like we said, talk about the timing and things. So I think it comes at, as you said, Lila, a very good week before they go into a very, very tough Big Ten slate. Yeah, because in that Temple game, one thing that really struck me was the vast shift in red zone. We talked about the red zone and also on third down conversions, right? So, you know, against Temple, they went 5 of 21 on third down conversions. They didn't have their first converted third down until um, just, you know, around a minute until halftime. Um, They went 1 of 6 on fourth downs, 2 of 6 on red zone chances. You know, against Howard, you go 5 of 6 on red zone chances. Against Syracuse, they, you know, were able to do good on all eight of their red zone chances. Against Howard, third down conversion was 6 of 13. Against Syracuse, 11 of 15. Um, And that's really something they need to work on. I was very impressed by how they performed on third downs um, through those first two games. But, you know, like we said, when the offensive line is going up and kind of that, you know, clock is ticking and, you know, stuff isn't working, I think it just gets in people's heads. And so to have this bye week to really get back on the right track, I think will, you know, be good. And I think they're going to come out um, I think they expected a win, and Lockie said they kind of, as much as he was saying they didn't expect to win, and they, you know, were coming in knowing that Temple could knock them off. He said the day that the team kind of expected to win that game, and maybe having this underdog mentality, and now really being able to look back and things like that will really help them this week. And if you look at the third down conversion that you just mentioned, they had 13 opportunities against Howard on third down, and 15 third downs against Syracuse. Against Temple, it was 21 times they were faced with the third down. And although they couldn't convert on those, the fact that they were getting deep into their drives, or deep into their downs, rather, when in the other two games they were just moving the ball down the field, and Cody said they were controlling the pace. They were scoring pretty much every drive. They were moving the ball, getting first downs, quick drives, like a minute, a minute and a half drives. Here they were having 
third down almost every time they had the ball. So on many three and outs, so many. So yeah. if if they can really convert and try to get, on, even if it's second and ten, try to get that first down or try to get closer to have it be third and one or third and two rather than it be third and ten because then they won't convert. Yeah, and, and long drives are supposed to you know take the wind out of the defense and, and wear them down. But I think the way that Temple's defense was playing on you know coming off the bye week all refreshed the Maryland offensive line and, and we're sort of getting worn down with how many times you know they had to go against them and and I think that really hurt them on third downs is having them a little bit winded as well yeah and on the defense while we talk about the defense being as strong as it was there were a lot of opportunities where Maryland's defensive backs were just outrun by the wide receivers on Temple um you know Temple has you know, a lot of talent at that wide receiver position. And they kind of outdid Maryland, Jaden Blue and Isaiah Wright. Um, Jaden Blue had five catches for 132 yards and a touchdown. Um, Isaiah Wright, five catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. And then tight end uh, Kenny Yaboa with four catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. And especially towards the end of that game and some other opportunities, you know, quarterback Anthony Russo was just making some long throws and um, Loxley said the communication within that group was better, but they were just being outrun and not making the moves with that man defense. Do you guys think that they should continue playing this type of man defense? Is it just a one-game fluke that it didn't work like this, or is that something you think they need to change up? I think based on who they're playing is how the defense should be played, whether it's man <laughs> or zone. And they didn't do that this week, I don't think. They didn't make an adjustment, and I think that's what hurt them is that you saw in the first drive, Temple had a touchdown where I think it might have been Wright, or I don't know if it was Wright or Blue, who who broke out for a long run after the catch, and there was no one near him. So had that been a zone, or if they adjust after that, that can change the, the way the defense plays, and it could be better. It could work out. It might not work out. So I think once they go down a little bit and they start to play on their heels, they have to try and adjust to try and see what will work and what won't. You know, I thought it was interesting that Temple really utilized their tight end, Kenny Yaboa. You know, that Maryland is starting to get known as, like, using their tight ends with uh, Chig Okonkwo and, and Tyler Mabry. But, you know, Temple Temple really went to Yaboa more than, well, Okonkwo had four catches, but Tyler Mabry only had the one. And but it was for a touchdown. It was one catch for a and touchdown. And he's the first since Vernon Davis to have a touchdown in three uh, consecutive games yeah. as a tight end. So it was just interesting to see how Temple used him against Maryland. But another thing I want to say is, you know, Maryland won the turnover battle. That is true. They had, I believe it was the uh, three forced turnovers. They had two fumble recoveries and an interception. And, you know, Temple only had that one interception. And it's 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 unique to see something like that, that ratio, and still have uh, the losing team have the more turnovers. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it was interesting to see how that played out and how Maryland was unable to convert on them while Temple, after the one interception, immediately went down and mm-hmm. scored and took a 7-0 lead. And that's what we talked about. Just so, And that was the theme of our gamers. There was just so many missed opportunities. Yeah, it was it was definitely a different different team on uh, a Saturday. Don't know why, whether it was the location or whether maybe the ranking got to them. I don't know what it was, but it just didn't look like 
the team that took the field for the first two games. One thing that was interesting is the amount of Maryland fans that traveled towards the end of a game um, when it was really getting to be a close contest. Uh, Maryland players on the sideline were getting, there's like a whole section full of Maryland fans and they're doing a whole Maryland cheer, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see what happens now in terms of how fans are feeling, the turnout we're going to see for Penn State. We had mentioned that student section um, went into a lottery because so many people had requested, and I wonder uh, what happens now. I don't think that this is the type of loss that like derails you for a season. It was a close game. There's clear things that they know they need to fix. But, you know, Maryland fan bases can overreact sometimes. Any fan base can, so I'm interested to see uh, how the perception of this team changes, uh, how the crowd around that Penn State game changes. Yeah, what do you think? I think it's Loxley's job to kind of get the fans involved and get the players to have the same mindset that they've had all season, that it's just one step. They have a loss, move on to the next one, and I think that's what this bye week is going to help them with, is regrouping, having a clear mind going against Penn State. And although they did lose, I think, yes, some fans or some students aren't as hyped for the game as they would have been had Maryland been 3-0 and and probably would have been in the top 20. But I, I still think a lot of people are going to go to this game. And it I don't think it loses all the hype, but it loses a little bit. Yeah, and Loxley always talks about the 24-hour rule. I mean, you know, Lila. Yeah. <laughs> Whether win or loss, we think about it and we move on next week. But, yeah, I, I still think Maryland people uh, and the fans show up. Uh, I mean, and that fun. helps you. I think that... You know, to Maryland fans, listen, you have to go and show because Penn State has such a huge alumni base in this yeah. area. Yeah. And no matter what, they're going to show up in numbers of a game. And any tickets that you don't buy, any tickets that you don't go to the game, that you know that will go to Penn State fans. And in the past years, it's been like a road game for Maryland because Penn State fans have outnumbered Maryland. And Loxley's talked about all season, the more fans we have, the more hype that gives us the um, you know better energy it gives our players. You know, it feels good when you're on the field and you ha- you can hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing you want is going to a matchup with, you know, a top 15 team and all of their fans are there and not yours. Yeah, and, and we saw that last time that Penn State was here. And there's there's plenty of travel with Penn State fans along with Michigan fans. A lot of teams travel well. So you need to have the fans show up at your own home stadium to outnumber them. But I, I still have buddies that uh, that are still trying to get me to get them a ticket somehow. And I'm like... I don't know what to tell you because all the student ones are gone and they're becoming harder and harder to get. But So we'll see how that goes. But I think a ton of people still show up. And while Maryland didn't get the win in football this week, there's a lot of success this past week for non-revenue sports. One team that has really bounced back in its last uh, two games is Maryland men's soccer. Um, you know, they beat Villanova on Monday night. Uh, 1-0 for their second consecutive victory, and that's the first time they've done that this season. Do you think that they're getting a bit of their mojo back, Cody? You know, it's definitely possible. Uh, obviously, they've been dealing with plenty of injuries. Uh, so many. <laughs> throughout the season. But, I mean, to get that win at home too straight, you got to start to gain some kind of confidence, especially uh, losing a, a couple early ones. But, I mean, they've been pretty good at Ludwig so far this season, you know, 3-0. Uh, and what's funny about all three games is they won them all 1-0, and this is the first time since 1999 the Terps have recorded the three consecutive shutouts at home this season. 
and to open the seasons for Simpson Sinai, exactly. which that's a long time. It is, and but as we saw, they haven't had very good success on the road, whether it uh, was going out west or anywhere else. But at home, they're they're doing pretty good. So we'll see. They're, I believe, they're on a uh, three or now two game homestand. So we'll see if they can take advantage of that. They're going to have Northwestern and St. John's coming up. Um, Friday and then the following Monday, and then they go on the road to face Wisconsin after that. So we'll, we'll see if they can take advantage of these next two games. Yeah, they definitely play better at home. I think there's a unique environment to Ludwig and um, the huge, you know, student support, and I think that clearly helps them. But these injuries are uh, could be, you know, costly. You've already had a lot of your forwards go out. Um, Luke Brown finally got back into the rotation a little bit. And then you've had, um, they had one of the goalkeepers uh, have to go out in the game. Um, it was Nicholas Newman. Yeah. He and went so out. They haven't had like a starting goalkeeper yet, but he was kind of someone who they were looking towards to maybe take over that role and he had to go out. Sheely did go to finish the game, but um, they already had lost a ton of talent going into this year. So I think as you get deeper into games and deeper into, you know, more competitive They've clearly, you know, played a lot of competitors so far, but as you continue to progress into the season is where, you know, you'll see how those injuries really have an impact and how the team can rebound. I was actually on the call for the game last night, and Sheely came in, obviously, for Newman. Newman collided with a player from Villanova. His head seemed to be, I don't know if it was bleeding, but he was grabbing his head, probably a concussion. And he came out of the game, he had to get carted to somewhere else to get uh, medical treatment, but he came back on the sideline with an ice pack and tape on his head. So he was there in good spirits, unsure of the severity or the length of the injury that will keep him out. But that was the first time they used a uh, starting goalkeeper in back-to-back games. And he was basically starting for three minutes and then came out. So it was basically they've alternated goalkeepers every game. And they really, obviously, that was the first first time they won two straight games. So they're trying to find that consistency, and I think Sarovsky, the head coach, will will keep working on that to get the consistency. And last year, they won games by low scores, and I think they'll be a team that does that once again. They're very defensively sound. They play a lot of the ball in the midfield. They don't really get in deep, and they don't let the other team get in deep. So I think that will continue for them, just trying to find that consistency. And before we get into the other non-revenue sports, I would just like to say that when we were getting uh, Henry Malone's uh, preview ready to publish. I picked a photo of Ben Rosa just just randomly, and I think I am psychic because I mean maybe not with the football scores, I was but say. um, but let me just say that is the second time this season that we have put a, a Maryland men's soccer player in the preview and then have him score the winning goal the next game. So hopefully we can get the same success with our football predictions going forward. Yeah. For sure. I mean, but soccer is a lot easier to predict. There's a lot less discrepancy in terms of, uh, you know, the score and things like that. Exactly. Another team that went 2-0, and actually 3-0 and kind of if you count last week, was field hockey, who are now 6-1 and on the season. So three straight wins for field hockey. They lost the only loss of the season to number three, Duke. They lost one nothing. So clearly it was their offense in that one. And we spoke about it in last week's podcast. What do they have to do to bounce back? And I said they just have to kind of keep that consistency and try to get that offense going. And they did that against Towson. I believe they won 5 nothing. 
and then they came into the weekend in the Terrapin invite, and they went 2-0 and in a win in a shootout. I was on the call for that game, too, against Oh, my Virginia. God, that was so crazy. And Rose, the SID, turned around to me and said that they hadn't had a shootout. I believe it was 2006. I could be wrong, but I don't remember the exact year. And it lasted it, it two had, rounds. It, yeah, it might have been 2009, actually. It had been a long time, and the shootout went longer than it should have had it went longer because they kept tying each other up, but that was one of the most exciting field hockey games I've seen. And you could see the heart on every girl on that team's chest. They just wore it right out on their chest to the end and they fought till the end. And I think the biggest part of that game was Noel Frost in net. And she ended up being named the big 10 defender of the week. She had a huge save, knocked it away from one of the Cavaliers players who was trying to score in the penalty shootout. And that, won the game for them so a lot of replays on goals for the referees in that game and it just ended up going the Terps way see that's got to be exciting like in the broadcast booth but for us that was that was crazy editing that just like it kept on changing we're just trying to follow along and we like had you know obviously with two different results prepared and uh that that was crazy yeah it was hectic man have you ever experienced anything like that or called any like anything with not. that that much drama in it or anything i don't think i've called a game that went into overtime until that time until that game so and that one went into overtime and then double, double overtime. overtime and then two rounds of shootout so that definitely had to be an exciting one yeah it was very exciting and then they took that momentum into sunday against jmu they won four nothing so they've shown that they're back and their offense is producing really well and they're really shutting out the lower-tier teams. They're, they started out against Richmond and New Hampshire. I think they shut out New Hampshire and then shut out Towson and JMU. So they're having these good, solid defensive performances, and they're really scoring a lot on offense. But the thing to look at now is that nine of their next ten games are against ranked teams, six consecutive games against ranked teams. Some of are the best in the country. UConn, who is one of their rivals who they lost to in the national championship two years ago. And then they put, they put Princeton as well, who's the sixth ranked right now. So That's going to be a crazy game. Their games against Princeton last year were crazy. I think one of them went to double overtime. It didn't go to a shootout, but double overtime. Another was really close. Princeton-Maryland field hockey games are always something to watch. So definitely that's going to be September 24th. So next week, make sure you stay tuned for Austin's coverage of that and I don't know if Matt will be on the broadcast booth or, you know, what's going on with that, but that is always a crazy game. But, you know, Macy Maharg always schedules games against ranked opponents is what she likes to do. Um, And Maryland has a good history of going up against them. I think that seeing them fall to Duke was a little concerning, but to see them get a win over a number six ranked Virginia team uh, was, you know, pretty assuring. And then also earlier this season, they got the win three to one over number 13 Boston College at the time. Um, so they definitely have the ability, and I think now seeing Noelle Frost get those saves, I think she's going to have some increased confidence in her first year as a starter, and um, I-, I think they'll you know do well on this streak. Like you said, those games against Connecticut and Princeton are certainly you know going to be some tough matchups as well against you know Northwestern. Um, there's a lot of tough games there, and you know the Big Ten has really become a huge um, field hockey. Uh, conference that you know Missy Mahart talks a lot about is that you know it's really become some of the premier talent uh, over the past couple years and so that'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes down this year 
And one thing I spoke about after they lost to Duke was how they have to be resilient and how Maharg always, her teams are always resilient. They lose and they somehow win the next few games. They never go Such on a, a string coach. of losing streaks. So here they are. They come out after a loss and they're resilient. And specifically the Virginia game, they went down one to nothing. They tied the game. Then they gave up a goal in the second half and then they tied the game again. So they were tied at two after being down by one goal both times and then they ended up winning in the shootout which just shows that they are a very resilient team and I think that has to all be placed on the head coach and the one thing I'll add is you know they they are one of the best teams in the country and and great teams take care of not so great teams for lack of a better better term and they've clearly done that so far this year I mean obviously they're coming off the for a win against JMU, but they also show up in the ranked matchups, and and that's something that um, Missy Mahardt does good is she gets her team to show up week in, week out. Yeah, and another team that has shown some resilience and having a better season than last year already is women's soccer. Uh, they are four two and two on the season and have already surpassed their win total from last season, only winning four games last year. Um, they on Sunday, took a 3-0 victory over Princeton to get Coach Ray Leone his 300th career win, um, and they had two straight draws prior to that game, but finally got in the win column and now have already matched that win total. As I said, how big and how much does that mean to this team to get him that 300th win? I think it'll be something they'll be able to build on, you know, especially going into Big Ten play. As you say, they, they have the four wins on the season, already so that's got to be a confidence booster as they go forward you know in the big 10 play as i said so we'll see it it's just to be said i guess yeah i mean it's not a historically you know good team for maryland and so you never really know with them but you know the fact that they're at this point already heading into big 10 play i think is a positive sign but you know we'll see because as the you know competition obviously steps up a lot yeah and they are doing pretty good at home as well. And they have games coming up at home uh, against Wisconsin and Minnesota. So we'll see. And another team uh, that, you know, also, you know, had a good weekend. They went 2-1, 2-1 over the weekend. Another team that kept us on our heels is uh, Maryland Volleyball. They had a bunch of games this past weekend go into five straight sets, which they've had a ton of this year. They took uh, a wins over Arkansas and Princeton, but lost to George Mason. Uh, and so now they move to six and three on the season. Well, they played pretty well in this tournament and starting at six and three, they're still trying to get that tournament bid that they, they just missed out on last season. And I think And the year before. And the year before. They just missed on both seasons. But I think they have some sort of urgency to try and get that this time. And I think it comes from Katie Myers, who plays the middle blocking position. She was named the tournament MVP, actually, this weekend. And she's up there for the top, top ranks in, Big Ten, in the Big Ten for blocks and kills as well. So Erica Pritchard as well for kills. They're really all the front line, all the, the players that end up in the front row, which most of them do other than Lovero, but... They're really putting the ball down, and they're able to block it, and they're control. I think they're controlling the tempo, and the games they win, they're really controlling it, and that's why they're having su their success right now. And also, Rebecca Rath was named to the All Tournament team this weekend, so two big honors for Terps players. And she's a freshman. Yeah, she's a freshman, Florida. She's been doing pretty good. 
so far early into the season. So I'm excited to see what she brings here on out. And one thing I was impressed with in their play over the weekend was, especially in that last game against Princeton, they were down two sets and uh, came back into it to win it. Um, and they, even when, you know, Princeton would go on runs, they would respond with some of their own. And so I think they so, showed a lot of resiliency and they've shown a lot of resiliency already this season in those, you know, five uh, set wins that they've had. And I think that's a positive sign because you're going to need that come Big Ten play the best volleyball conference in the country. Yeah, I think Adam Hughes tells them something, something along the lines of bend, but don't break because although they were down two nothing, they did. They didn't break and they came back to win the next three. And when teams do that, it it's it's sort of a momentum thing to go into the next games and you could build off that. Never they they never try and just fold apart and they really just fight back every point. And I, I can tell this team really wants it more than they did last year. And we'll be hoping to see that uh, from football, you know, fighting back. Like we said, they'll have the bye week and uh you know, then we'll get back into the swing of things, have a lot more coverage next week. There's not a lot of media availability this week, just the one presser of locks, and I think that'll also let them really focus, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. I think a bye week couldn't come at a better time, and, you know, the other non-revenue, the other fall sports are just kind of on a roll right now. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the weekly podcast on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Lila said, stay tuned for all the coverage, mostly the non-revenues this week with football being in a bye week, but stay tuned for all of that on the Testudo Times site.